Hello, everyone. You're listening to Digital Builder, a podcast brought to you by Autodesk, made for construction professionals who want to hear from those on the forefront of construction technology. If you're looking for conversations centered around where the industry is going, this podcast is for you. Each episode will feature a conversation with a construction industry leader. Together, we'll dig in on themes related to connected construction and discuss where the future of the construction industry is headed. Now let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 20 of Digital Builder. I'm your host, Eric Thomas. This week, we'll be recapping some big moments from Autodesk University, which wrapped up last week. We'll also discuss the concept of a platform and what it really means for construction teams, followed by a glimpse into the future of construction technology. To help me tell the story, I'm joined by Sid Haxar, Head of Strategy with Autodesk Construction Solutions, and Jim Lynch, Senior Vice President and General Manager of Autodesk Construction Solutions. Sid leads the Autodesk Construction Strategy Team and is responsible for driving the company's point of view on the future of construction. He also closely monitors the industry's technology landscape, leads the strategic planning process, and regularly evaluates potential opportunities for expanding the business. And Jim has been a driving force for construction at Autodesk for over 20 years. His legacy is closely tied to the company's successful scaling of Revit, the establishment of BIM as an industry standard, and most recently, the explosive growth of Autodesk Construction Cloud. And for those that have been listening since the show began, you'll know that Jim is our first repeat guest, which is a really exciting milestone for us. Thanks for joining me on the show today, gentlemen. Thank you, Eric. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Eric. Yeah, pleasure to be here for the first time. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be a fun conversation. But before we dive into the episode, I heard at one point during the years you've been working together, there was a challenge made for a boxing match. And I have to know more about what that was all about. Okay. So, Jim, do you, do you want me to go first with my version? I, I think you should go first with your version. So. All right. It, it usually is a little bit more entertaining here. So I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you. So so I love boxing. And actually, prior to the pandemic, was working out with a, with a trainer. And I know Jim is an avid athlete and I'm sure he can talk to you about that. So so I asked him come, to come to the gym with me and spar, which then led to my suggesting rather than doing something behind closed doors, let's box for charity. And unfortunately, the pandemic scuttled those those plans. Though Jim thinks he will, uh, he'll easily knock me out in the first round while, while I'm pretty confident that my conditioning, my speed and uh, defensive skills will keep me out of trouble and, and get the job done. So there you go. <laughs> well, I'll just say that, you know, I've had a lot of employees over the years ask me some interesting questions, but I don't recall any of them ever asking me to spa in a boxing ring. And, you know, I, I, when Sid said it, I, I just plain straight out said, Sid, I think that's a really bad idea. I mean, I can't go and hurt one of my employees. I, I value the work that Sid delivers, you know, and I, but I did have to remind him, I, you know, I grew up in Boston. I still play ice hockey today. I, I just don't think you want to get in a boxing ring with me. So <laughs> luckily the pandemic has, you know, prevented this charity boxing match to happen because I'm also really competitive. So, you know, once I'm in that ring, I, you know, I, I, I 
I can't take responsibility for what might happen. So that's the story, Eric. I like it. Yeah. And hopefully we'll never hear a part B on this. <laughs> I can't say I've ever challenged my manager or boss to a fight before. So, Sid, I, I, I admire the uh, the bold choice there. And hopefully once the, the pandemic subsides, we can reignite this conversation and see where that kind of spins up. But aside from the box... I live in hope. <laughs> yeah, I hope so as well. <laughs> <laughs> We'll, we'll see where uh, we can get that chattery part going. Exactly. So for those out there listening that aren't familiar with Autodesk University, which is one of the topics we're going to cover today, this year's global digital event included over 300 sessions with industry leaders, 80 construction sessions, industry talks, demos, keynotes, news, and a whole bunch more. And this podcast actually launched alongside AU exactly a year ago. So I'm really excited that we're still out here bringing great content to the industry, and it's a a ton of fun, but kicking off our post-AU recap, I really want to hear each of your favorite parts of this year's event. Sid, could you kick us off and share a couple of your personal AU highlights? Sure. Thanks, Eric. So, so I've been at Autodesk now for over seven years, and Autodesk University is really my favorite em event amongst a host of events that we, we have over the course of the year. And the reason for that really is threefold. One, it's, it's truly inspiring to hear how customers are positively impacting our built environment utilizing our technology. Second, the opportunity to interact directly with our customers is, is frankly priceless. And I really look forward to those conversations. And then finally, third, really just getting to walk the exhibit halls and, and meeting with construction tech companies and see how they're pushing the envelope around innovation and helping advance our industry forward. It's, it's almost like me being a little child in a candy store. So it's, it's, it's really, really a fun time. Obviously, unfortunately, the past two years have been virtual for obvious reasons. But I'll say that the silver lining has been the ability for more individuals to really participate given that we made AU a free event to attend. So I think that's been great. In terms of favorite parts for this year's event, I really love the live meetups and how they brought together different stakeholders across our industry to share business challenges and how they're using technology to mitigate those challenges. And, and a couple of sessions that I really liked was the Life of Pipe, which I thought the name was ingenious for those of you who've seen the movie Life of Pi, which really highlighted the various workflows from pipe design through fabrication to installation. I think another timely session was Field Tech and Rollout. Again, as the name says, suggests it's all about scaling tech in the field and managing the change that comes with it. And then last but not least, you know, one of the other sessions that I really did enjoy was ERP integrations uh, for Autodesk Construction Cloud. We obviously announced our integration with Sage 300, and we will continue to be adding additional integrations based on our customer needs. But one final point I think is worth calling out, which is we believe we have the industry-leading cost management offering and that we make it available at no extra cost and pun intended as part of Autodesk build. And it's great really to see our customers validating this as they deploy it across their projects and also integrate with their ERP systems. AU is, is so exciting every year for so many of the reasons that you just shared. And even though we're in this, this digital world for the time being, I do really appreciate the, the inclusiveness that we're able to offer in this new format that we're currently supporting. So it's just great to make sure that you know, the entire industry, regardless of where they're able to connect or attend from, is able to jump in and learn a lot from their peers. Jim, how about you? What's your favorite takeaways from this year's AU? So first of all, Eric, happy anniversary. It's amazing that it's been a year since the Digital Builder podcast was kicked off. And you have had some amazing, amazing shows. So congratulations. And I look forward to another 
several years of digital builder. So regarding AU, listen, I you know I think Sid hit on a lot of the things that I love about AU, and you know, unfortunately because of the pandemic, we've had to go digital. The good news about that, as Sid suggested, is we've opened it up to more customers. We don't charge for our customers to come to Autodesk University like some others may charge to go to their user group meetings. So, but in particular, the things that I that really stand out for me, first and foremost, you know, Autodesk really came out and shared our vision and plans to become a platform company. You heard our CEO talk about it. You heard our CTO talk about it. You heard myself and my peers talk about it. And you know, this is uh, this is more than just talk. This is a real commitment to becoming a platform company. Now, for Autodesk Construction, of course, we had many exciting announcements, and you know, all of them leaning on the enhancements that we've made to Autodesk Construction Cloud. We also announced the fact that we're bringing Pipe into Construction Cloud. We're unifying Pipe to be part of Autodesk Construction Cloud. And don't forget, we also announced a new technology called Bridge. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar, Bridge really creates a way to share key project data before, be, between teams without having to share the entire project. So that means a general contractor can share only the required sheets and provide updates throughout the project with each subcontractor. This really opens up a whole new era of collaboration for construction. So I think that was a great announcement. So some great product announcements, you know, just more news about Autodesk Construction Cloud, the breadth and the depth, and how we continue to really advance that in the industry. Yeah, I miss AU in person just because I I really like walking the expo floor and seeing all of the different vendors and people who are just excited to support this industry. And I think our pivot to digital here, but still creating an avenue where people can consume content is really tied back to the resiliency of the construction industry specifically. Like everybody's so collaborative and working through problems on the job site daily that we've we just jumped into this new environment and we're still getting work done sometimes more than before, depending on the circumstance. But outside of the, you know, the joys of in-person when we do return to that, I do think the point about Autodesk being a platform company is worth digging into a little further. Before we get too far into the details, Jim, can you explain what we mean by platform? It feels like everyone offers some type of platform these days. And I think out, those out there listening would really benefit from hearing Autodesk's definition. Yeah, I think it's a great question question, Eric, because you're absolutely right. Everybody talks about platform and there are many out there that seem to think because they have APIs, they have a platform. Well, the fact of the matter is that every SaaS, almost every SaaS product today has APIs that let you exchange data with other applications. But a true platform really plays a more active role in coordinating how products work together right? It, it's really a single experience where designers, engineers, builders, they can all harness the data and the tools they need when they need them, no matter what industry they're in, anytime, anywhere, on any device. That's a, a true platform, right? It's, a, it's about providing that information, making sure that data flows seamlessly, bi-directionally across all the capabilities in that platform. Of course, the Autodesk platform is Forge, 
Autodesk Construction Cloud is built on Forge. Autodesk Construction Cloud as a platform delivers, you know, connected data, right? It connects data, it connects teams, it connects workflows, and it really provides an environment that feels like a single environment. And oh, yes, we also have all the APIs as well. So you're absolutely right. There's a lot of different definitions of platform out there, but a true platform just plays a much more active role in coordinating the information and the data. And a true platform like we're building at Autodesk isn't limited to a single industry. So the Autodesk platform will seamlessly connect not only Autodesk Construction Cloud capabilities, but our design capabilities in AEC, and in fact, our manufacturing capabilities, as well as our media and entertainment capabilities. So as you think about things like industrialized construction, the convergence of design and construction or of construction and manufacturing, you know, the fact that a platform can move information between those two industries is going to be extremely, extremely critical and exciting. And if I may just add to what Jim said there, which was completely spot on, I think it will also make the experiences of our customers really more seamless and powerful. And as we continue to deliver on our goal of uh, what Jim frames as connected construction through enabling really high fidelity connections across teams, workflows, and data, we feel really excited about helping really drive that positive change, not only for the industry as a whole, but specifically for our customers' businesses. I think you're both spot on, and I really appreciate the the robust explanation of, of what we think about as far as platform goes, because it's it's worth really considering. And the emphasis on the experience is what really resonated for me, too. Anybody who listens to this show is no stranger to me talking about data silos and disconnects and portability. And, you know, many of the guests that I've had on speak at length about those topics. But we're we're at a moment now where I think the industry needs to go one step further in how they consume technology to ensure that it's not just, oh, I have an integration that forces my data from this thing into this thing, but that overall experience is actually a whole lot more meaningful because it means that you can focus on just getting the job done instead of worrying about futzing with the bits and bobs that connect all the different tools you're working with. A hundred percent, you know, this idea that, you know, I have to spend time learning these five different point solutions that's eliminated as you move towards a real platform environment. Sid, I'm really glad that you're on the call today because I've got a strategy question tied to your focus on seeking opportunities for expanding our business. Can you take a moment to tell us about the vision for the recent investments in iOffice and Space IQ and how it relates to Autodesk's previous investments and acquisitions? So, so before I speak to our recent investment in Space IQ iOffice, I think it's helpful to call out that Autodesk is an outward looking company. And, and by that, I mean, you know, we are always looking at what solutions are loved by the industry and how that really plays into our build by partner strategy going forward. And this approach, frankly, led to our acquisitions of PlanGrid, Building Connected, Assemble Systems, and more recently, Pipe, each of which were really uh, leading solutions across the project lifecycle of our customers. However, I think we understand and appreciate that solutions need to be integrated so that they can truly deliver the most optimal experience of our, 
of our customers. And to that end, I think Autodesk Construction Cloud has been our response in that regard. Again, as I say, I, I'll keep repeating this. I mean, we're, I'm extremely excited about our future in that regard, right? And also, it's worth calling out a, a not so well-known fact is that Autodesk is the most active strategic investor in construction tech. And we're always looking to play our role in supporting entrepreneurs as they innovate across our industry. So I think with that said, you know, in terms of ACS, Autodesk Construction Solutions, and our view towards, you know, M&A and investments as a company, I'll come back to you on the Space IQI office uh, question. Uh, There, our motivation really behind our investment is to really leverage uh, BIM and design and construction along with the operational data to optimize facility uh, performance. And as we think through the building life cycle uh, from design through build and ultimately operate, be it our work with Autodesk Tandem and now Space IQ and iOffice will really enable our owner customers to utilize the operational data to ultimately make better informed uh, design and construction choices in the future. So uh, in summary, I think we're really excited about uh, this investment and partnership, and there'll be obviously more to come in the future. Sid, I feel like you've been listening to recent episodes of Digital Builder because we've been talking about digital twins and we've had a couple owners join us to talk about that future-focused, I guess, style and expectation that owners are starting to adopt when they're building new projects or, you know, renovating others. So I I appreciate your look into, you know, why the strategy team operates the way they do and why they bring all these tools in. And also, thank you, since that's how I ended up joining the Autodesk family when PlanGrid got acquired a few years ago. So And so it's been a ton of fun to just see the evolution of our technology and our tools in the last few years. And it's, it's just been a real privilege to work with so many people. So I want to come back to the point of how there are so many construction tools that loudly declare their own status as a platform. And I like to help our listeners cut through the noise a little bit. So I'm interested to hear what questions should they be asking to ensure that the tools that they're evaluating are a good fit for their team and actually do meet the criteria of a platform. Jim, could you kick this one off for us? Yeah, sure. Happy to, Eric. It's a good question and it's an important question. As you said, everybody has their platform flavor of the day. I I think there's a handful of questions and I'm going to ask Sid to to dive in here as well, because this is something we talk about a great deal at my staff. But I think, you know, first and foremost, ask them about the data. It's, you know, I think data is such an important, it's the key component of a platform, right? You know, having a single source of truth is paramount. And it's, it it is a core pillar in the strategy of, of really creating ways for companies to work from the same documents while respecting the data ownership aspects of it, right? So ask those that are selling you a platform who has access to the data? Because some solutions limit access to the data. They only allow the license holder, you know, to have complete control and ownership of that data. So that's a key question. I think you have to ask how they define the life cycle of a construction project and when it is complete, because you know, a true platform supports the life cycle from design through pre-construction out to the job site out to operations and maintenance. And if it's a project that is using, you know, or connecting to manufacturing systems, for example, for prefabrication, that platform also should connect you into that world. I think a lot of quote unquote platform providers 
define a construction project starting at you know when they start on the project site and end when they push it to operations and maintenance. That's not really a platform. That's that's a point solution. I think you should ask about their training and their customer support, right? Do they have the skill set? Do they have the teams necessary to really help you adopt, embrace, and in fact, get the most from your technology investment? Not just get the most from one point solution, but really get the most to really help you take advantage of and collaborate better with the design team, with the team on the job site, we, with the pre-construction office, and ultimately with the owner of the project. Those are a couple of the questions I would start with. Sid, I know you have some ideas here too, so why don't you throw in a few? Sure, and I think, Jim, you nailed uh, the, the first few that you called out there, spot on and so true. In terms of the way I would add to what Jim just said, I think there are two additional questions that I would ask the listeners to consider. I think the first is really understand the depth of your or the partner ecosystem, right? That the platform claims to offer. Having partner logos on a website does not really mean much if those integrations are weak and limit customers' ability to utilize their existing solutions in an efficient and seamless manner. And, and what I mean by that is without true data interoperability, double entry of data and manual processes can all ultimately lead to greater risk on a project. And in that context, I think one of the exciting pieces of news that we announced at AU really was that we now have over 200 plus integrations leveraging uh, both Forge and partner cards. We also have ACC Connect, which really enables customers to build over uh, their own custom integrations, over a hundred uh, workflows that we offer in really a low code, no code environment. I think another really exciting development was the release of our uh, new app gallery that really allows uh, teams the ability to access and incorporate integrations offered on the Autodesk Construction Cloud platform with their existing or planned workflows. And I think I'll use an analogy there to say it's almost like, or it is like Roku for integrations. So we are really, bringing this North Star of pervasive simplicity that our R&D organization is always talking about to really bear on our customers. The second aspect I would call out is that being a platform comes with a lot of responsibility and responsibility to customers. We are essentially asking companies to standardize their core processes on one platform. And uh, to that end, listeners need to ask if these platforms, with air quotes, really offer flexibility in how they can purchase software rather than deploying a uh, one size fits all approach and if that uh, if it, and if they have price certainty without having to deal with uncomfortable surprises during the terms of their contract for us as as a company in listening to the industry and our customers uh, we offer multiple ways uh, for for our customers to consume our offerings whether it's user based or account based but we also strive to offer price certainty and really be a partner to them so i think those are some of the things that i would call out from a platform standpoint you know these are some of my favorite parts of of doing this show because it's an opportunity to really help whoever out there is listening make actionable decisions and choices about how they consume, you know, whatever type of technology they're evaluating. And I think the cool thing about all the questions that you suggested they ask their vendors is this doesn't necessarily only apply to evaluating platforms. It could also apply to evaluating any type of technology that somebody could be rolling out at their company or on the project site at the same time. So it's it's just really really great to step back and 
intentionally ask questions that get you a couple layers deeper to sidestep some of the fluff that you get that largely ends up being marketing speak and doesn't really apply when you're out on the job site. So it's, it's just a really deliberate dance that you have to do when you're choosing such impactful software. I, I was just going to say, I think that's really well said, Eric. I, I think, you know, you ask a question in the context of a platform, but it, 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 those questions can take it beyond that. And I think you nailed it. Well, I appreciate that. You know, my, my goal with every one of these conversations is at the end of it, you have something actionable that you can do. You can sit down and go, okay, I've learned more about a new technology, whether it's machine learning or AI or, you know, site scanning or whatever it might be and, and decide intentionally how you can start consuming it. But, you know, back to the platform conversation, all of this really does come back to data for me, which brings me to an industry report that our team recently brought to market called Harnessing the Data Advantage in Construction. And the reason that I bring up this report is because across 4,000 people we surveyed with FMI, we learned that the majority of construction teams don't actually have a formal data strategy in place, which is a little bit alarming. And we also found that many out there don't trust the data that they have available to them right now, especially when in the past they've had poor outcomes that resulted from a decision they made using data that was inaccurate. And so the commonly shared struggle of not knowing where to begin when improving their data management, I'm interested in hearing both of your thoughts about how the platform approach helps you with some of these problems and those that are out there struggling with data management right now. By the way, it's a really great study, the hard Harnessing the data study with FMI, and I hope our readers get a chance to take a look at it. I was having a conversation earlier today with one of our customers, one of our strategic customers, and you know we were talking about the fact that over 90% of all data from a construction project, both engineering and, and construction, goes unused. And you know, again, this is where the platform play comes because platforms enable you to collect data to capture data across the life cycle of the project whether it's from early design or when you're just starting the estimating and takeoff process to when you're out on the job site and you're trying to get things done and you find issues that you need to you need to deal with and so the idea of capturing all that information in one place and then being able to apply things like machine learning and ai to that data really helps you turn that data into something that is helpful to your business, to drive better decision-making, to capture and catch issues before they take place. So I, everything you said about the data piece is so accurate. And you know this really does resonate with customers and they are really paying much closer attention to how they can tap into their project data to drive better outcomes. And with that, I'll hand it over to Sid. One of the things for us which is really fascinating is that every project is, is, is really bespoke in nature without the ability to leverage insights from, from prior projects, all with the goal of driving uh, favorable outcomes. And I'll keep going back to what Jim has said, you know, around this notion of connected construction. It is so critical because getting access to the data is exceedingly challenging and it's really a prerequisite in order for companies to start driving actionable insights from that information. And so I would say standardizing on an open and integration platform integrated platform enables that first part of the journey 
in capturing data in one place. And then subsequent to that is really the ability to surface that information in really what I'll call a highly consumable manner for the customer so that they can make appropriate business decisions. Our customers do not have data scientists on staff, right? If you think about even the smaller companies, the smaller construction companies, they are really looking for self-serve tools. And that is where, you know, our portfolio, our platform enables that to happen. But again, I'll go back to the first part, which is you need to be standardizing on a integrated and open platform to begin that data journey. I love what both of you have shared here. And, and Jim, the 90% of data going unused, I think is such an important thing to identify right now because so much has happened in the last five years. We've had this massive digitization journey. We've had the ability to capture more data than we've ever had historically in the past. And we haven't really, as an industry, had a moment to step back and go, how should we be using this? And so we're capturing it, we're capturing it, we're capturing it. And that's important. Please, please keep doing that. Don't stop capturing data. But the word that I keep using on the show, which I, I need to put a swear jar in front of me, is intentionality in how you capture it. So we're starting to get to a point now where we're looking at the future state of what we want to do. And now we get to make choices about how we capture it, how we standardize it, how we consume it, which brings us from the current model, which is often project-level decisions made in the moment with limited access to data or possibly inaccurate data. And we get to make this big industry swing where we go, okay, now our project-level decisions are more accurate because the data that we're using is accurate and the people trust it. But now we get to take that one click back and we go, okay, organizationally, like what are we learning from this information? What do we look to in the future? And how do we make those choices? And if you're building that on data and you can be confident that your data is correct and it's all there, the ease of those self-service platforms, especially for the customers that don't have so many resources to have a team focused on this, it's an entirely different conversation. And you can tell I'm, I'm passionate about this right. and I'm gonna have Jay Bowman from FM I on the show very soon with a, another uh, guest, awesome. which I'm excited about because we spent a great deal of time bringing that report to market. And there's so much to uncover as far as, you know, how we can improve data strategies across the board and the, the ROI associated with that. And there's, I'm, I'm not going to give up the ghost too quickly. So everybody out there listening, if you find this interesting, look for a couple episodes down the line, because we're going to talk all about it. But I want to pivot to the future now. We've, we've talked a lot at length about the takeaways, and I think we captured what was up at AU and really uncovered the importance of our platform, report, platform approach for our peers out in construction. But I'd like to highlight a moment during Andrew's keynote last week where he said, it's been like a decade of change all crammed into 18 months. And I think it's an accurate observation about the world today, especially for our friends out in construction. And with that in mind, I think our listeners would appreciate hearing some of the themes that come up when you know each of you speak to industry leaders about the past 18 months and how they feel about how it will impact the future of construction. Sid, could you kick this one off? So obviously the construction industry has, you know, it's been massive challenges that they've faced over the past 18 months. If there is that silver lining uh, to the pandemic has really been the increase in cloud adoption as uh, companies have adjusted their work processes to really account for remote collaboration due to work from home mandates or, or job site restrictions. 
That said, and fast forwarding to today, as we look out into the future and in our conversations with customers, they fundamentally believe that they would be very different in both form and how they operate compared to how they are today. And so in, in from hearing what they tell us, I think, you know, and in our, in our view as well, we see a couple of things. Uh, first, we see companies increasingly being data-driven. Uh, Jim talked about, you know, uh, 90 plus percent of the data that just goes not used in the engineering construction phase. So we would expect to see increased focus and scrutiny on unlocking the value of their data uh, to drive better decision-making, both um, at the project level, as you said, Eric, but also at the at the firm level. Second, there's just this massive ongoing labor shortage that's driving the need for increased automation to augment what I'll say is human processes, both in the office and on the job site. So we expect to see that happening more um, over the next several uh, years. Third, I think we expect to see companies explore alternative business models, things like uh, you know vertical integration, offsite construction, amongst others, as they really look to uncover scale economies. I'll even add, frankly, you know things like Tandem, which allows them to manage facilities post handover. That's a whole new business model for construction companies, and they're looking at that because they don't want to be at the whims and fancies of you know project-based uh, revenue. And then I'll say the fourth one, last but not least, is you know given that our industry generates a significant amount of waste compared to any other industry, uh, we'll expect to see a renewed focus on sustainability. And whether that is being net zero carbon, and Jim has a lot of thoughts around that, or use of sustainable building materials, our conversations with customers continue to validate uh, that hypothesis and that thinking. Sid, you, you captured everything I talk about on this show with our wonderful guests in four very on-point and bold statements. And I, I really appreciate it because I know everybody is is a little fatigued with pandemic-focused talk. So I don't like to focus on it a ton because everybody's a little bit tired, if we're being honest. But I also think it's really important specifically for the construction industry because this was such a unexpected lever of change. Like it just was a catalyst where we're, we're digitizing, we're figuring out how to be remote in an industry that was never remote historically before. So there's so many changes. So I, I appreciate the, the perspective that you can share when you're speaking to industry leaders all the time. Jim, Sid may have stole the show on that one. Do you have anything else to add for our listeners out there? Well, you, well, you're right. Sid's answer was was spot on, and it, it's funny. I as I mentioned earlier, I was speaking. I was on a call with uh, one of our customers earlier today, and we were talking about these things, and they were talking about their business challenges. I did have a chuckle, Eric, because you said, you know, you finished the date of the discu discussion, and you said, okay, now let's talk about the future. And I, I'm thinking to myself. Well, wait a second, then we're going to go right back to data because data is the future. And it is. I mean, Sid said, it. listen, the things that come up in every conversation I have with industry leaders, every conversation it came up today was the data piece. How can we, now that we're capturing more and more data, how can we get value from it? Sustainability, their clients are really, really, you know, driving them to deliver better results, better sustainable results, whether that's, you know, around embodied carbon, you know, their, 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 their carbon footprint, that is a major topic. And then, you know, as they look to the future, 
it's like, okay, how can we do more things in a controlled environment, making it more predictable, making it safer for our teams? And, you know, it doesn't have to be full-blown modular. It can just be a better approach to prefabrication. So those are the themes that come up. And I, I you know, I have to say, I, Andrew's statement is really a good statement. The fact that it, it's been like a decade of change crammed into 18 months. And I think you're right, Eric, that's no, it's, truer in construction, more true in construction, I think, than anywhere else. And I, you know, I think this industry was moving at a fast pace to embrace and adopt technology. And I think that pandemic has actually caused them to go even faster down that journey. Now, I was saying something that's controversial. I could be controversial to the customer I was speaking to today. And I was talking about Back in the Revit days, you know, after the Revit acquisition, you know, we were on a journey to really get the industry, get the design community to embrace building information modeling and embrace Revit. And it was it was hard work and it took time. Fast forward to where we are today with construction. You know, construction used to get this bad rap of being slow at adopting technology. I can tell you the pace at which they are adopting technology today is incredibly impressive. And I think faster than what we saw, you know, with BIM, with the design community. I agree with you completely, Jim. Like the the old boring trope of construction not being innovative anymore, that needs to get parked because there's so much happening in the industry right now. Although at the same time, I think it's important that out, people out there listening go back to the questions that you both suggested people ask as they consume technology because at that moment, there's so much to consider that whether it's you're looking at site technology or if you're just thinking about how the heck do I deal with this massive amount of data that I now have that I didn't have 18 months ago, you have to be intentional. And I'd like to go back to the fact that a lot of people have that decision paralysis feeling right now. We discovered that in the research we did, and I'm going to talk about it with Jay Bowman in a couple of weeks. But that's a shared pain. That's that's not unique to any particular type, size, or geography as far as being overwhelmed with the amount of data that you have. And I encourage you to go download the report. We'll put a link to it in the show notes for this one too, because it does give some of the actionable steps to getting out of that decision paralysis hole and making really intentional choices about how you, you know, improve your data capture and management and kind of move forward from there. But Jim, I've got one more question for you, and you touched on it a couple times today, but I know you're passionate about it, so I want to I wanna bring it up and really dig in here. So with all of this digitization, the changes with how construction work that we have talked, to, uh, talked about at length here in the past few minutes, has this had any clear impacts how design and manufacturing are converging with industrialized construction, either today or in the future? Like, like what's the trajectory compared to when we last spoke eight or nine months ago about this stuff? Yeah, I listen, I think interest in this concept of industrialized construction or the convergence of construction and manufacturing, where construction looks to manufacturing processes to drive better outcomes, to drive more predictable outcomes, to drive more safety. I think there is more interest today than there's ever been. And I, you know, customers, the industry is asking, how is the best way to get there? And there are multiple answers. It can be better prefabrication. It can be 
building assemblies and bringing them to the job site. It can be full-blown modular. I mean, there are multiple angles to take here. I think there are a lot of questions to answer. How do you make that shift in your business? And, you know, we've got some expertise at Autodesk that, that are helping our customers make those choices. But I think you're going to just see more and more momentum, if you will, around the concept of industrialized construction. And I, you know, I, I think you're going to see some interesting startups around the idea of industrialized construction as well, which I think, you know, will be a welcome site. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm more passionate than I've ever been about it because it's gaining momentum and it's, it's, it's only going to continue. Yeah, we've had an interesting moment where the, the lens has been pointed at IC and prefabrication in a way that it hadn't been historically. And so also for out there, those out there listening, go back an episode or two because we actually talked at length about prefabrication and there's some really great tips on how to get started with that technology there too. So worth checking out. Sid, do you have any thoughts on that prefab IC world that you'd like to add to the conversation? Yeah, I'll just add a couple of things. One is, you know, a lot of our subcontractor customers have already been doing prefabrication. That is inherent in their business processes. I think what also Jim has been talking about is we're seeing a lot of our general contractor customers that are moving more towards or wanting to move towards more of a self-performed basis, right? And part of that really drives around uh, this notion of uh, prefabrication. And part of it can be also being driven by the fact as we talked about labor shortages. When you win jobs, now how do you end up executing on that? So it may make sense to vertically integrate very selectively. And so I think they're seeing this, the value you add, obviously, the ability to construct in a controlled environment, which was indicated during the pandemic, while other job sites shut down, I think those that were prefabricating continued to work, is all uh, tying into this notion of, uh, of prefabrication. So this is a trend that we expect to continue on. And it's definitely in conversations that Jim and I have with customers, they are talking about this. Yeah, I hear it come up a great deal now myself. And I do appreciate one point you mentioned there too, like prefabrication and in, in industrialized construction is not a new topic. Like this is not something that was born during the pandemic, but we just had this new light come in and people are reevaluating the viability and the impact of it. And honestly, I think my favorite one that comes out of it isn't necessarily tied to efficiency or streamlining. It's just more control over site conditions and the safety improvements that you get from that too, because you have that controlled environment. And since safety is so paramount in this industry, it's the first thing we talk about on a project site. The second you step foot, it's the last thing you talk about when you go home at the end of the day. Like I just, I like to laser in on that one because it's, it's so, so important. So I've got one more question about the future of construction and some of this technology and two of my favorite ones and Jim you actually mentioned them a minute ago so I'm glad you planted the seed but I'm interested to see how this ongoing advancement in digitization impacts the adoption of tools like machine learning specifically and artificial intelligence and we had an episode about that one episode ago as well so if you're interested in this topic check it out but I love your thoughts on this one Jim yeah I mean you know, our solution strategy, our technology strategy has three key pillars, right? Digitization or automation, integration, and optimization. And, you know, those three pillars are connected and are there for a reason. It really starts with digitization. The more project teams apply or embrace digital technology to capture project information from early on in the project, through to handover and operations, you know, you start amassing significant amount of digital information. And then when you're able to actually integrate the systems around that information, 
whether it's your project management systems, your financial systems, you're building up on that pool of information, that pool of data, which leads then to when you get to the optimization stage, the idea of actually using technologies like machine learning to really be able to look back at that information, extract key insights, extract key learnings to help our customers drive better outcomes on future projects. I mean, we're seeing customers are embracing our construction IQ technology today doing exactly that. But it does start with digitization. You've got to start capturing that digital information early in the process. And with the work that we're doing, sorry to go back to platform again, but you know, you capture that digital information on the job site because of our platform, because of the true nature of a platform, we're connecting that project information back, not only to the pre-construction planning office, but all the way back to the design team. When you pull all that data together, you put yourself in a position to really be able to learn from your previous project data to just drive better predictability, better outcomes on future projects. And I'll stop there, but I could keep going. <laughs> it's such an important topic. And Sid, you made two points that I'd like to highlight earlier, and I'll kick it back over to you so you can share some more thoughts. But one is the labor shortage, and then the second one is augmentation. And I think those two points are super important for everybody to keep in mind as we talk about these technologies, because a lot of times people are a little bit afraid of the technology because they're fearful of how it will impact their job. But if we keep the labor shortage in mind, and in the phrase augmentation, it really emphasizes that these techs are here to help and improve people people's ability to get their work done, it's not here to take away their jobs. And so people still will be here doing the things that they do well and will continue to do so. But AI or machine learning can, for example, evaluate 10,000 photographs for site safety and a site superintendent just can't do that at that scale. So it's, it's building, it's improving, it's making things better with the technology and the data that we have. It's not a scary technology that's you know rooted in sci-fi and human replacement down the line. So anyway, Sid, I hope I didn't steal your thunder there, but th I think it's such an important point to make when we talk about these technologies because they're they're here now. They're not future. They're they're just getting better. Yeah, I'll just say the same thing as Jim is going back to talking about platform. I'll just go go back to the same point I'm raising, which is really to harness the power of ML and AI. It really goes back to the notion of connected construction that we spoke about earlier. Um, really, only then you can benefit, and in my opinion, from these technologies at scale. And so for us. We are investing significantly in our AI ML efforts across the Autodesk construction cloud, you know, be it through construction IQ, which helps mitigate risk on the job site, or even with things like automated symbol detection that helps uh, speed up the takeoff process. So again, you'll see manual automation, you know, that, that theme resonating. Another example I'll call out is, which is exciting for us, is, is our acquisition of Pipe and Pipe's AutoSpecs solution, which really applies ML uh, technologies to extract submittals from spec books 
you know, this is a very laborious process and, and, and using this technology, this machine learning technology significantly reduces time and risk for downstream construction workflows. So these are examples of how we're using technology to really help make the lives of our customers easier. Yeah, I think it's all just improvement in existing processes. And it's so nice to be able to see everything at scale. And the takeoff one is always a great example. I remember when I was still working for GCs, I would watch our estimating and pre-con team just laboriously going through and doing takeoffs. And it looked painful. And to be able to just speed that up and allow people to focus on more important tasks, not more important, that's the wrong phrase, but, you know, tasks that are better served with, you know, human focus, it's just a great improvement. So we're running to the end of our show today. And for everybody that's listening, and Jim, you remember this part as well. To close out each episode, I've got a final question that I ask each guest. And it's, what is one tool that you will always carry in your toolbox, no matter what type of project you're working on? Sid, can you kick this one off for us today? Sure. So on a serious note, I could have given you a, a funny answer, but for on a serious note, I'll say the one toolbox uh, important for us is really empathy. I think that is something that I have learned over the pandemic. Uh, we all think about, we always claim to have empathy, but it really comes into practice and it's come to the forefront during the pandemic. Empathy with respect to your, to your family, your friends, your colleagues, and your customers. It is so important to really put yourself in their shoes and really understand the challenges they're facing. And it just makes you a better human being at the end of the day. I know it sounds very pithy, but you know, it's, it's, it's frankly really, really important. And it's enabled us to walk away from this every day, you know, you're on demand, always on type of lifestyle where there's very limited personal engagement to really go back to what really matters. So I think that is something I'll keep in my toolbox for the rest of my life. Sid, I appreciate that. And especially in the last year and a half, you know, the empathy conversation has changed a lot too, because everybody's lived experiences, we've navigated the challenges in the last 18 months has been very different. And in the moments that cause stress, and the circumstances that every person is experiencing, whether they're, you know, out in the front lines, or on a job site, or working at a grocery store, or sitting at my desk in my house in the woods by myself, <laughs> making my existence very apparent here, but it's it's all different. And that empathy that you bring to the table to understand that the stressors that are driving everybody in a particular moment, can be wildly different and taking the time to understand them is, is huge. So thank you for, for bringing that up. That's excellent. Jim, that's a, that's a heavy one to follow. I'm, I'm interested to hear what your tool is this time around. Yeah, I, by the way, I, you know, I, I thought Sid's answer was, was phenomenal. I, I, I thought it was really well said. You know, I, my one tool that, I, that I'll speak of, it, it really goes hand in hand in what Sid was saying. And the one tool in my toolbox is my ears and that's listening, right? You know, I've always believed in seek first to understand, then to be understood. You know, we all need to listen more today to each other. And I think, you know, we spend a great deal of time speaking with and listening to our customers. And so it is the one tool think that I carry. The other one, of course, is gratitude, but we'll save that for another episode. <laughs> That'll be number three. I appreciate that. But you're on point there, and especially in this strange world of, of Zoom-focused conversations, too. Like Active listening is, has changed a lot now, where you're not just in a room looking each other in the face. You could be scrolling through Reddit while you know sitting on this phone call, and I wouldn't know. So you're present, but you're not really listening. So that's an important skill to have. And you know, you've led our team 
through ACS, I've appreciated it when you've displayed it as well. So thank you for bringing that to the table. But if anybody out there has any questions for you, what would be the best way for them to connect to you? Jim, can you kick this one off? Yeah, a LinkedIn would be the best way to get a hold of me. Perfect. Sid, how about you? Is your LinkedIn presence heavy or are people looking for other avenues to connect with you? I think LinkedIn is a great way to connect and, you know, looking forward to those dialogues from there. Perfect. Well, for those out there still listening, thanks for taking the time to join us on this episode of Digital Builder. If you have any questions for me or want to appear on a future episode, you can find me on LinkedIn, much like everybody else on these calls, or via Twitter at Builder underscore Digital. And if you're enjoying our podcast, please rate the show in Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player. All you have to do is open the app, find Digital Builder, and select the number of stars that you think we deserve. It really is that easy, and it makes a real difference for our team. And of course, you can always like, subscribe to, or share this specific episode if you enjoyed it. And on that final note, goodbye. You've been listening to Digital Builder. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening with Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Simply tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves, and then you're done. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.